1236, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. My producer, Hondo, reminds me to tell everybody that um, if you want to see this video that we're going to be talking about, if you text the word jaywalk, one word, J-A-Y-W-A-L-K, just one word, J-A-Y-W-A-L-K, not jaywalk, just J-A-Y-W-A-L-K, we will send you the link to the video. This is a video that is going viral candidly. My guess is that if it were not for the video of the guy being dragged off the United Airlines flight, um, this would be the most watched video in the country by now, and it may be shortly. So if you want to see it, the link, if you haven't seen it, J-A-Y-W-A-L-K, if you text that to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, we will share it with you. Here, here, Here is what happened. Monday afternoon, in Sacramento, California, there and and you, there's a number of different videos of this, but the, the most telling one is the dashboard camera. There, it's a dashboard camera of a police officer who's driving. If you watch the video, what you see is a young black man who is walking along the sidewalk. And you see him walking along the sidewalk, and then he comes up to a street, and he crosses the street. He crosses the street from corner to corner. Now, I have to tell you, when I hear the term jaywalking, what I have typically understood jaywalking to be is when you cross the street in in the middle. You you don't go to the corner. You just kind of cross in the middle. That's not what the guy does. He, He goes up. He's walking along the sidewalk. You get to an intersection. He looks both ways. He crosses the street, something that you and I do on a regular basis if we are out walking around. So the the dashboard camera in the police car catches this. Like I say, he's a young black guy, some 20-something-year-old black guy. He he continues walking. The police officer, and you can see this in the dashboard camera of his car, follows him, pulls the car over. The guy gets out, the officer gets out of his car and starts walking down the street after the guy. And you can hear the conversation. He's telling the man, stop, you were, you were jaywalking. Um, at which point in time, the, the man, the young black guy, holds up, holds up his hands and continues walking. He, he's holding up his hands because he, he's trying to show that he doesn't have, have a gun. Um, the officer tells him, you are jaywalking back here. The guy says, I looked both ways. The officer then says, stop right now before I take you to the ground. If you do not stop right now, I will take you to the ground. The man, 24-year-old guy, says, you pulled me over for nothing. The officer then orders him, get down on the ground. At which point in time, the the guy says, I didn't do nothing. I I don't have nothing. The officer says, "Um, get on the ground. At which point in time, then the guy, 24-year-old man, who's now, he's got his hands up during this whole thing, says, if you were a real man, you, you'd take your gun away. The officer's got his hand on a gun. This is, this is all over an alleged jaywalking thing. If, if you, if, he says, if you're a real man, you take your gun away and you could fight me like a real man. At that point in time, now there's a cell phone video that comes in as well, because there's a woman that's videotaping this. You see the officer lunge at the man push the guy on the ground, jump on his back, and start throwing punches. 
at which point in time a couple other officers arrive and they wrestle him to the ground and they put him in the back of the squad car and and they haul him off this is all over an alleged jaywalking thing and again i've seen the video i've looked at the california statutes on, on jaywalking and i guess you you could say one of the things that they define as jaywalking is crossing the street without looking but how how you prove that i i, I don't I don't know. And subsequently, authorities said, no, we don't think that there was a basis for the stop in the first place. But the guy is on the ground. He is being pummeled. Now, the man who was put on the ground, the alleged jaywalker, has he had been arrested before, a couple years ago in Fresno, California, for resisting arrest. And apparently, he's somebody who has been stopped by the police before and doesn't go gently into the good night. Just says, hey, I, you know, you're stopping me because I'm a young black man. You don't have a basis for it. So right now, the officer that pushed him, that made the original stop, has been suspended while they investigate the matter. Our numbers, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm as pro-law enforcement as they come. I, I really am. And I appreciate what a difficult job police officers do. The guy that initiated this Two years on the force, and I have to tell you something, and it pains me to say this, I think he was dead wrong in this. And in today's day and age, stopping somebody for jaywalking, and and again, it's not even crossing in the middle of the block, because you don't like the way somebody crossed the street. And you can see this whole thing on the video. And then escalating this into a situation where you're on top of somebody, pummeling them, tells me that you probably shouldn't be a police officer. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, was this an example of, and admittedly, the guy did not comply. Admittedly, he said, I didn't do anything. You're stopping me for nothing. I'm not going to get on the ground. All right, he said that. And again, it's never a good idea not to follow directions of law enforcement. But at the same time, if a police officer is so grossly wrong, all right. Does that police officer deserve to have consequences? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I got to tell you, I think so. And I do not understand in today's day and age why you continue to have police officers knowing that they're going to be on video, knowing that they are being filmed in, I don't know, dashboard cameras, why you would initiate a con- confrontation like this in the first place is absolutely beyond me. All right, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It is 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, if you want to see the video I'm referring to, um, 414-799-1620, just text the word jaywalk, one word, J-A-Y-W-A-L-K, and we will send it to you. 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tony in New Berlin. Tony, good morning. Uh, Good morning. Um, I... I told your call screener that I've been in the same situation. Um, my whole thing is is that it seems like in today's society, uh, a lot of uh, blacks think that you know you should not be able to be pulled over if you're black. Um, it's all about race. Well, guess what? I've been in a lot of these situations, and I'm white, and I've been pulled over numerous times at Brookfield because you know I, I'll, I'll have to admit, my car was didn't look brand new, and it was a little you know beat up. Um, they do that. Um, the thing is, I always comply with the police officer, and guess what? Ten out of ten times, nothing happens. He, he, we have a good rapport. I give him his respect, and he lets me on my merry way without a ticket or a citation. I but, what about a many- situ- but what about a situation where you have a guy who feels that he's just being stopped for no reason? I mean, 
he he crosses at a street corner. I mean, I I've seen it. I don't I, now in retrospect, nobody thinks that there was a basis to stop him for jaywalking. He just gets stopped for what he perceives as being no reason. And I agree with you, he should have complied. But does that give the officer the right to escalate it, push him, take him down, and start hitting him around the head and shoulders? No, it, no, it does not. But I've been walking down the street, and I've had two walks. I have no criminal record. I had two walking police officers jump out of their car, grab me, start searching me, and, and basically kind of manhandle me a little bit. And I didn't resist. It, it, right. And there was no basis. They just said, where's the drugs? Where's the drugs? Just because <laughs> I was in a neighborhood that there has to be drug activity. Now, after they ran my record and found out I have not a single uh, thing on my record, they let me go. But what was... I, I could have got irate because what's the basis for this stop? And I could and I could have escalated, but no, I complied. And guess what? They let me on my merry way because I was doing nothing wrong. Well, and I, see, and I Tony, no, I no, I, I appreciate what you were saying, and, and I think the in this case the I'm going to call him the victim, the 24 year old man was wrong in not ju- in, in just trying to walk away from the police officer. Having said that, though, and so I I, I understand that. I, that's it. Just just comply. I think what you have here is a situation where you have a bad cop who was looking to provoke a conversation. I mean, seriously, you know, on our text line, um, somebody who's seen the video says, wow, if that is considered jaywalking, then the officer would have a field day in downtown Milwaukee. This is a guy who just, like, crosses a, a, a street. So, I mean, I understand, should he have complied? Yes, he, he should have he stopped. Even if he is legitimately has a legitimate beef with the fact that the officer has pulled him over, but to me that's not the issue. To me, and I, to me, the issue is you have a bad cop. You have a bad cop who sees somebody walking down the street and decides we're going to jack somebody up for jaywalking. And if the police officer hadn't have initiated this conduct contact in the first place, well, then none of this would have happened. Secondly. When you try to pull him over and make him stop and he walks away, at some point in time, I mean, really, at some point in time, even if you're right, even if you're right, and I don't think this officer was right, you're talking about jaywalking. Seriously, you as the police officer, you're going to allow this to escalate to a point where... And you can see now there's people gathering. It, there, there's cell phone videos that are out there. You're going to allow this to escalate to a point where you are the one. Now, admittedly, the, the guy, I mean, he's got his hands up, but but he's saying, hey, look, you, you're, you didn't have any basis for stopping me. It is the officer who then starts punching the guy, starts pushing the guy, knocks him down, gets on his back, and starts pummeling him. What Aren't police officers supposed to have more self-control than that? And, again, it's even... I, I agree with this whole notion that that the man made it worse by not simply complying. But at the same time, I guess I can I can sort of understand. Would I have complied? Yeah. But I'm trying to I, – I understand if all of a sudden you cross the street and it's – and again, it's, it's not like you're believed to be a bank robber. You cross the street, you're walking home from work, and all of a sudden a police officer comes running up and gets into your face and starts ordering you, stop, you're, this type of stuff. I understand why the reaction might be, I wasn't doing anything. What are you doing, for goodness sakes? And then you have, it seems to me, the police officer, at the very least, does not de-escalate the situation. But again, he's the one that escalates it. To me, this is an example of a bad cop. I will not defend bad cops. 
I will defend police officers given how difficult the job they're doing is. But my God, this starts off as a this starts out as a confrontation over an extremely questionable jaywalking situation. This looks to me like it was a police officer that was looking to try to jack somebody up. And in this case, I understand it's a 24-year-old black guy who admittedly, you know, has an attitude, has a history. He's resisted arrest before. But really, Bob in Franklin. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Bob. I'm very well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I, I watched the video this this morning, and, and, and it is... At, at best, troubling. But, you know, every time you report one of these things, Jeff, you pontificate and preface what you're saying uh, by indicating you're such a friend of law enforcement. I am. And, you know, uh, how you judge this policeman to be a, quote, bad cop? He's throwing the man on his face. He's, well, then, Bob, you don't understand what police officers are supposed to do. I mean, he confronts a guy... With on the street for a BS claim of jaywalking. Nobody believes, you know, the, the, the DA says, we don't think this is jaywalking. He confronts the guy. He escalates the situation. He pushes him to the ground. And while the man is on the ground, he is on his back, pummeling him about the face um, while he's on the ground. That is an out-of-control police officer. So if that is pontificating, here is the bottom line. If there are police on the force that are doing that, they do not belong on the force because what they do is they give the men and women who put their lives on the line on a daily basis, they give them a bad name. And I will not defend police officers who engage in behavior that is out of control. So, yes, that, that is pontificating that I'm a friend of law enforcement. I am. But at the same time, you've got to recognize that there are bad apples. There are people that cannot control themselves. And I look at this video, and this is a guy who cannot control himself if he is going to allow uh, – if he is going to allow what should be a routine encounter to escalate to this point, if he is going to allow himself to be baited by an unarmed 24-year-old who's got his hands in the air to the point that he's going to push him down, and knowing that there's <laughs> dashboard video, knowing that there's people with cell phone videos, that he's going to pummel the man about his head and shoulder, and you yourself, Bob, acknowledge that it's a pretty disturbing video. You're damn right it's a pretty disturbing video, and if that happened to you or it happened to your son, my guess is you would be singing a different tune as to whether or not that was a bad cop. 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Apple Watches are one thing, but what if you could open doors, pay for coffee, and track your health, all with a microchip inside your body? Would you do it? Scafidi and Billstat open the discussion at 1235 today. Uh, one of my very, very favorite TV miniseries is Lonesome Dove, you know, which which is, I think, one of the, it's a four-part, it's like eight hours, it's based on the Larry McBurtry book, and, and I'm sure you've probably seen it. Um, there, there, There is a scene in there where the, the whole premise is these two aging Texas rangers decide to leave their little dumpy little ranch on the Mexican border and head a cattle drive out to Montana. And one one place along the way, there's a scene where... Members of the U.S. Army are trying to, like, take some of their horses, and one of the Army scouts decides to beat one of the little cowhands. And one of the main characters, the, the one of the Texas Rangers character, um, Captain Woodrow McCall, sees this. The guy flies into this rage, and he, he pulls the Army scout off the guy and just 
beats him within an inch of his life. And at the end, he, he calms down and he says, I just can't tolerate bad behavior in a man. I won't put up with it. That's kind of how I feel about police. I Look, I have the greatest respect for law enforcement, but you know, you have this awesome responsibility that you're given when you have the power to make arrests and detain people and carry a gun and all those type of things. And when you see officers engage in bad behavior, it just is not to be tolerated. You expect more. And if you don't get more, I think you're right to uh, criticize this. Beth says, I saw the video. This is just plain harassment. The cop was trying to get the man to know his place. Bad cop should be fired. Well, now he should be fired. I wonder if this it's now a criminal investigation as to whether this is assault. And if you watch this video, and again, you can see it, text the word jaywalk, one word, J-A-Y-W-A-L-K, to 414-799-1620. My question is, if that was you, if that was your kid, if that was your spouse, and you saw that happen to them, you know, would you say, oh, well, I guess they, they got what they deserved because even though the stop was bad, the uh, the police officer, they, they didn't immediately comply when the police officer told them to get on the ground for jaywalking, for goodness sakes. All right, Follow the Brewers is coming up in just a couple minutes. After that big thing, number two, as long as we're talking about behavior by law enforcement, new controversy involving the officers that physically removed the man from the United flight. We will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. There's a new poll out. Um, Rasmussen reports, and they do this daily tracking poll. One of the things that you're starting to see is Trump, President Trump's approval rating is starting to, to go up. Uh, the latest Rasmussen poll now shows that 48% of likely U.S. voters approve of his job performance. He's still underwater because 52% say they disapprove, but but that is up dramatically. Remember, even just a couple weeks ago, you had a job approval rating of like 36% or something like that. Now it's already up to 48%. I think that's a response to people like the fact that Neil Gorsuch has been confirmed as the uh, new justice on the Supreme Court. I think people like the decisive action in Syria. I think people are are satisfied. Um, Our Follow the Brewers winner for today, Aziz from Kenosha. Aziz from Kenosha is our winner of today's daily prize. Gets a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Cardinals at Miller Park later this month and is entered for our weekly grand prize drawing tomorrow and we will qualify somebody at approximately 9:10. so one of the people that is qualified this week will win the uh, weekly grand prize a trip to chicago to see the cubs so be listening at about the same time tomorrow for your chance to follow the brewers so anyhow that the trump numbers 48 percent and i i think i think that's starting to turn around i mean i think people are starting to like a lot of the things that are coming out of this administration and do you notice that for the last couple weeks he hasn't been on Twitter. <laughs> he hasn't been on Twitter. There haven't been tweets. I think that that's a positive as well. Here's the interesting thing about the poll, though. And it does show that there is this, just like there is Walker derangement syndrome in the state, there is Trump derangement syndrome. All right, so 48% approve, 52% disapprove. That's still underwater, but it's a lot closer. Here is the dazzling number. Okay, they, they asked self-professed Democrats whether or not they agree with the Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez when he says that Trump was not legitimately elected president, they ask Democrats, do you agree that Trump was not legitimately elected president? And, man, I'm telling you, they must be selling a lot of tinfoil because people are making it into hats. 61% of Democrats, 
say, yes, we agree that Trump was not legitimately elected president. Really? I mean, six out of ten? Look, I understand you can disagree with, with the fact that, you know, Trump is president. You can be upset that Hillary Clinton lost. You can be unhappy with what you think the direction of the country is going to be. But seriously, 61, six out of ten of self-professed Democrats that they question, that they poll, say, we don't think he was legitimately elected. Man, have they legalized pot all across the country? All right, coming up next, big thing number two. As long as we are talking about law enforcement misconduct, there's a new video out about the guy who was removed from the United Airlines plane. We'll talk about that. Stick around. 914 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine seventeen. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You listen to them every football Sunday. And next Wednesday night, you get the rare chance to see them live in person. Packers Radio Network team of Wayne Larrabee and Larry McCarron are going to sit down with me during Insight 2017. Don't miss a rare chance to get some green and gold Insight in person. It's a week before the NFL draft. Tickets are on sale now online at WTMJ.com. Get them before they're gone. Insight 2017. It is the Country Springs Hotel next Wednesday night, April 19th. See you there. All right. The fallout from this whole United Airlines thing continues. Uh, and now it is starting to focus on the behavior of the three law enforcement people, the members of the, what do they call it, the Chicago Aviation Police Department. Now, let me back into this. Um, letter, this is a letter written to the Chicago Tribune by one of the passengers on, on the plane. The guy's name is Jason Powell. He, he says, unfortunately, I was aboard United Airlines Flight 3411 from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky on Sunday. Even more unfortunate was the fact that I was returning from a spring break trip with seven of my students from Louisville Male High School who also witnessed the unconscionable treatment of the passenger. The disgusting mishandling of the situation included everyone from the rude ticket agent who demanded that the man give up his seat on the flight United it overbooked and now we know it wasn't overbooked they wanted to just bring people off so they could put a flight crew on to one of the officers laughing in the midst of the incident to the violent abusive way the passenger was dragged off the plane by the officer it was the worst possible model for my students and frankly was traumatizing to many of us who watched this from such close proximity what are we modeling for our children are we teaching our children to scream at other people to jump to the use of force if we don't get the results we want, to use violence to solve problems, to have total disrespect for other people. I was appalled at how United Airlines and the officers handled the situation, but I was also encouraged by my fellow passengers' attempt to interfere, despite how helpless we all felt. Some passengers audibly protested to the officers. Some stood and removed themselves from the plane rather than continue to witness the abuse. One father, while trying to console his eight-year-old daughter, confronted one officer, saying, among other things you ought to be ashamed of yourself there these are the models of to which i hope uh, my children will see more of so now the, the, the follow-up is people are starting to focus on these three chicago aviation police officers who were brought on the plane unsurprisingly because we live in a cell phone world there is now new video of the passenger his name is dr david dow who was dragged off the plane but unlike the video that was out there before where you saw him just actually being pulled off the plane this is video that surfaced before he was forcibly removed from his seat 
Um, a passenger, her name is Joya Griffin Cummings, says she began filming the guy's encounter with Chicago Aviation Police officers before he was physically taken off of his plane. In this video, which starts when the officers are on the plane, the man says, I won't go. I'm a physician. I have to work tomorrow, 8 o'clock. The guy is on his cell phone, appears to say something about making a lawsuit against United Airlines, but does not raise his voice until the officers continue to tell him that he has to leave. I'm not going, he repeats while shaking his head. An officer then suggests that he might have to drag the man off. The guy says, well, you can drag me then. I don't go. I'm not going. I'm staying right here. Um, The officer then says, I'm just telling you it's going to be a lot harder for you. He says, yes, I know that. I'd rather go to jail. The clip, um, you know, then shows the guy, the officer saying, I have to go home. Um, And... These allegations that he was being unruly, that he was yelling or things like that, that's that's not what this clip shows. He's just saying, I'm not getting off this plane until the cops start to get physical with him. And cops, I'm talking about, the again, the federal aviation people. Well, here's the latest development in this story. The three aviation officers that were involved in physically removing him from the plane have now all been suspended. Uh, the... One who was responsible for physically removing him and then dragging him off and causing him to hit his head on the armrest and all those things, he was suspended from the beginning. But now all three of the police officers, the aviation officials who were involved in this, now all three of them have been suspended pending an investigation. All right. I think this raises an interesting issue. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were the officers justified in using this type of force to remove this physician from the plane? And to me, you know, a lot of this, I mean, United Airlines is just a train wreck when it comes to this thing. But when those cops, the aviation cops, come on the plane, understanding the situation that they are presented with. This isn't a guy who's unruly. It's not a guy who's drunk. It's not a guy who's disruptive. It's simply a man who is sitting in the seat that he paid for. Should they have gotten, should they have put their hands on him? Should they have physically dragged him off the plane? Or should they have tried to work out a different solution? And do you find fault with them? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, I... I, as I've been watching this video, and this has been one of the things that's been percolating in the back of my mind, police officers are supposed to de-escalate situations. And in this particular case, I think the use of force under these circumstances was completely and totally nuts. Should the guy have complied? Well, well maybe, but I understand his position. But now these cops have been suspended. You know, are is it fair to question how they handled the situation? Under circumstances like this, when the man has done absolutely nothing wrong other than say, I'm not leaving the seat that I have paid for, should they have gotten physical? We discuss next. My answer is no. I don't know what you exactly do. Maybe you move to plan B or plan C, but putting hands on him, physically pulling him out and dragging him out of the airplane makes me wonder what these guys were thinking. It's 924. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 
6, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All three of the Chicago Aviation Police who were responsible in laying hands on this United Airlines passenger, dragging him out, have now been suspended during the course of the investigation. Uh, the United Airlines president says this will never happen again. We will never use law enforcement to physically remove somebody who has paid for a ticket. But I guess my question is, is it fair to criticize the police, the, these aviation officials, for doing this in the first place? And my answer is yes. They're supposed to de-escalate situations. What were they thinking? It's not like the guy committed a crime. All right, let's talk to Shernaz and Racine. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Shernaz. Hi, Jeff. This is Shernaz. How are you? I am very well, thank you. All right, the, these, these officers, should they have done what they did? Those officers are terrible. They are not human beings. They are, uh, they are worse than human beings, and they are animals. And I think they should be fired. They should not be suspended. They should be fired because it's not a human attitude they have done. Well, I mean, so they're not, they're not they, dealing with somebody who is accused of bringing a bomb on a plane or assaulting somebody. They're dealing with someone who, a physician who says, I'm not getting off this plane for the seat I paid for. I mean, it, again, it, it's not like the guy is a threat. He's just refusing to go. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then you are absolutely right. And then they are using their power. I think they are overpowered. They are not using their power. They are overpowered. They think whatever they can do, it's acceptable. It's totally not. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Chris in Waukesha. Chris, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. According to a news article on a reporter, I mean on the news, um, he said the small print of our ticket is a 60-page legal document. Yep. And, of course, no one of, none of us read that. And right. he said all of us are subject to that treatment. And, you well, know, wait, 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 not, not subject to treatment. What, what, the, what the small print of the contract says is that, you know, they can, in an overbooking situation, they can, they can you know, they can uh, give your seat to somebody else. It doesn't say that you're, you agree that you get beat up by Chicago oh, Aviation Police. Uh, absolutely. I am not agreeing. I am agreeing with you. I'm just saying, unfortunately, it's. Um, a contract, and they should not have that abuse. I mean, if they offered $800 voucher, no one wanted to get off, well, make the flight crew go next. I mean, I have a herniated disc. You know, someone comes up to me, I guess, in hindsight, and seeing this video, I guess I'd walk off. But, you know, we don't have any rice kidding on this plane. It's no, disgusting, no, right, treatment. No, right. I, I'm, I'm with you, too. And thanks, thanks again. I mean, look, and I understand this is, at, at, all right, at, at, its, at its worst, Okay, this is a contract dispute. All right, maybe the guy is saying, look, I, I, I think my contract entitles me to the seat. United Airlines is saying, no, we want to put the flight, uh, we want to put a, a flight attendant in your seat instead. Okay, that is a contract dispute. It is not like the man committed a crime. And I do wonder about the judgment of these officers that decide that they are going to physically remove him in that particular situation. Um, is this, uh, again, should, you know, I don't know how I would react in the situation if I had to get back the next day. But I don't expect necessarily that I'm going to be manhandled. And I have to tell you, I do not think the aviation police had the authority, had the right to manhandle him in that fashion. Maybe you say, all right, this plane isn't going anywhere till you get off. There's all sorts of things you can do other than getting physical. That's where I think 
they're in trouble. And I, I guess as evidence, I would say that the President of United Airlines is now guaranteeing that they will never, ever, ever again use law enforcement and ask them to use force to remove a passenger in a circumstance like this. I wonder about the judgment of these three these, these aviation police. They're supposed to de-escalate situations, not simply say, okay, you're not following our orders, so now we are going to get physical. And the question I asked a couple days ago remains the same. If this was a woman, would they have manhandled a woman that way? If this was, say, an African-American, can you imagine that? If this was a black guy that was doing this, you know, banging him around, causing him, would they have done this as well? Or was it because it was an older Asian guy, did they feel that they had carte blanche? I just, I'm not necessarily saying that I think that these officers need to be fired. I am saying they they mishandled the situation, in my opinion, just as badly as, just as badly as United Airlines did. If this man is violating the law and they decide to do it, well, then what you do is you, you make an arrest. But they didn't decide to do that. Man, I'm telling you, you know, what a debacle. What a debacle. And it just continues to get worse. Jeff Ratner, 620 WTM. The Brewers turn their attention to the divisional rival Reds tonight as their road trip continues in Cincinnati. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle will begin our coverage from Great American Ballpark at 535. That's right here on WTMJ. All right, just a couple thoughts on final thoughts. Our text line has just exploded with people reacting. I, I, The man on the United plane did not commit a crime. I do not think he deserved to be manhandled by the Chicago Aviation Police. I think the President of the United Airlines now recognizes how wrong that was, and he said we're never going to ask law enforcement to physically remove somebody under these circumstances again. But I think it was poor judgment by the cops who decided to get physical with someone who had not committed any sort of criminal behavior before. Uh, Here's some of the thoughts on our text line. Mike writes, Good morning, Jeff. There's absolutely no way they were justified in manhandling this customer in the manner they did. Certainly I cannot defend what they did i don't think that they can either however it'd be interesting to know what they were told about the passenger my understanding is they were told the circumstance that it was an overbooking thing and he just was refusing to leave let's see heck no uh it's good to suspend these three fool officers maybe and fire them united should up the ante on the vouchers or suffer the consequences dennis says the officers were instructed to remove the passenger from the plane and not negotiate with the passenger the passenger did an illegal act by not complying with the instructions of the officer and I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, uh, shouldn't let's see. Shouldn't be removed from the seat. Should be denied boarding. This requires better planning on the airline's part. Police, while acting horribly, were put in a bad situation by the airline. I think that's probably a fair um, concept of this. But here, here's the bottom line: the guy. The guy, all right, then Christine writes, when the aviation police came to remove the passenger from the plane, why didn't he just get off? He was defying their request. Yes, he was. Yes, yes, he was. But for everybody that wants to try to blame him, put yourself in that guy's shoes. Right? Let's say, for the sake of argument, that you're on that flight. You have paid for your ticket. You have done nothing wrong. You are sitting in your seat. It is 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and you have something that you have to get home for. Maybe it's 
your kids are are coming home that night and there's nobody going to be at the house you you know your kids are coming home all right you you have to be there maybe it's at eight o'clock that next morning now keep in mind the next flight wasn't until three o'clock the following day so this wasn't one hey we're going to put you on a plane two hours later this was you're going to be here for another 24 hours so imagine you you've got you've got a business thing that you have to get to you, you've got, I, I've got patients I have to see. I've got, let's say, you've got surgeries. Or, I mean, the example I was giving, okay, I was coming back from Las Vegas that Sunday before opening day. Now, it's not like seeing patients, but this is a big deal here at WTMJ. You know, for weeks and weeks and weeks, you plan this type of thing. So if I'm sitting on that plane, I'm in my seat, I've got my ticket, i got to be at Miller Park at 7 o'clock the next morning, or it's going to cause a huge problem for a lot of people. I'm on that plane, and if somebody comes on and says, well, we know, Mr. Wagner, you paid for the seat, you're sitting on the plane, but you're going to have to leave because we want to put some flight attendant in your seat, and we can't get you back till 3 o'clock the next day, I'm probably not going. I mean, you have this emergency type. It's like, all right, you can't be, you can't be delayed. All right, so that's the situation. So for everybody that says, well, this guy was wrong, put yourself in that situation. You've got to get back. You're in the seat. You've paid for the ticket. And these bozos decide that they're going to try to bounce you. And then you get these three police officers who come on. And after you explain the situation, they simply say, okay, we're pulling you out here. And if we hurt you, we hurt you. It's all your fault. No, it's not your fault. Police are supposed to de-escalate situations. And the fact that the aviation police decided to get physical, to me, was stupid with a capital S. And I do believe that there should have been other ways to handle this. Did the guy commit a crime? No, he didn't commit a crime. He's never been charged with a crime. Nobody suggests he committed a crime. Um, What they should have done is... All right, if he's refusing to leave, maybe you ask for another volunteer. Maybe you just say, okay, well, this flight isn't going anywhere unless he gets off. And then you just kind of see where this goes. But to get physical in this situation, I think, was a gross error in judgment. Should these guys be fired? No. But if you want, but maybe suspended, and stuff like this should never happen again, this man was not a threat, period. Um, you know, case, case closed. All right. Big story number three. Back in the USSR, it's not to Russia with love. Um, the Secretary of State, the new Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, who had a, an ongoing relationship with Vladimir Putin back when he was in business, um, he was, he's been in Russia for like conferences. And even though it wasn't on the schedule, he ends up meeting with Putin for nearly two hours yesterday. And as it turns out, um, they, they don't agree on, on just about anything. Russia continues to say U.S. completely wrong in Syria. Russia, as a matter of fact, yesterday in front of the U.N., um, there was a resolution condemning Syria for its chemical attacks on its own people. Russia vetoed, (laughs) vetoed that resolution. Um, They're part of the permanent members of Security Council, so they get a veto. They vetoed that. Um, They continue to say, well, we think that this is media hysteria, and we don't think that there's evidence that says that it really was the Syrian Air Force that dropped these things, despite the fact that there's all this radar and there's all these tracking things showing planes leaving the Air Force base, going, flying over the city, there being a chemical attack, and then the planes flying back. Russia continues to say... 
kind of like the old thing out of the old TV show Dallas where long-suffering Sue Ellen walks into the bedroom, sees her husband J.R. in bed with another woman, says, what are you doing in bed with another woman? And he says, well, you know, Sue Ellen, what, what do you mean? Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? That's apparently what Russia is trying to do now. But they weren't able to reach any sort of agreement. Russia continues to draw this hard line saying, no, 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 you know, we're not going to do anything to try to uh, push Assad out. We are also going to continue to do what we've been doing in the Ukraine. And United States, you know, you're going to have to back off. All right. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is 414-799-1620. This, to me, is a huge test of the Trump administration. Do we allow ourselves to be pushed around by Russia or do we say, you know, we're going to stand up and do the right thing? The Russian involvement in Syria is very unpopular inside Russia. Russia's economy is a complete and total mess. I am not saying that we want to provoke a World War III with Russia, but I have been arguing for the last week, and I think if Russia is not going to comply, if Russia is not going to voluntarily do the right thing, it is time for the United States and other members of um, civilized society to start ratcheting up economic pressure on Russia to bring them around. Because my theory is, if you squeeze Putin hard enough, he will end up backing off. 414-799-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we start putting economic pressure on Russia? Because it doesn't appear that they're going to understand anything else. I say yes. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 944. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager that is stumped by the mood swings which often accompany that age? Have no fear. New research has yielded new answers on how to handle these tricky situations at home. Get the info today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 320. I had to laugh. I was watching the uh, the comic book movie Deadpool last night, and there's this this female teenage x-men character and the the deadpool character is interacting with her and says okay let let me get the you're this the, you're this moody teenage girl and you've got two things you either range from saying really snarky nasty things to long prolonged ba- bouts of silence so which is it going to be is it going to be the long prolonged bounce bout of silence or is it going to be the nasty snarky thing and the the teenage girl pauses and says you got me in a box. You know, it's, it's so, so anyways, yes, the, uh, if you're trying to figure out, okay, why, why is the teenage girl or the teenage boy, why is it long, prolonged, like, bouts of silence followed by really snarky, nasty things and then more silence? Eh, tune in. Maybe we'll be able to explain it to you. All right. Th- this meeting between the Secretary of State and uh, Russian leaders, including Vladimir Putin yesterday, apparently did not go well. Uh, Russia continues to say, nothing to see here. How dare you say that there was a chemical attack that Syria launched, and you better not be bombing any more bases, and we're not going to cooperate with you at all. Look, I don't think, obviously, you don't want to, you don't want to create a situation where you're involved in a World War III. But you know what? I mean, US, the U.S. has been getting pushed around in foreign policy for a long time. And unfortunately, the U.N. is a paper tiger. They're toothless. They will not act. Vladimir Putin is ah, all right. Vladimir Putin is in trouble at home. The Russian economy is crumbling. Involvement in Syria is incredibly unpopular. And it's more of a kind of face-saving thing. But if he's not going to do the right thing, if Russia is not going to do the right thing voluntarily, then I think it's time for the U.S. to start ratcheting up economic pressure and stop being pushed around. Logan in Brookfield. Logan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you, sir. What do you think? I agree with you totally. 
I think it is it is time for us to be pushed around stop. It is time for us to stop being pushed around and it's time for us to flex not so much our military muscle but our economic muscle and other countries need to do need to do that as well. Yes. Yeah, you, well, right, right, if exactly. If you look back in human history, back to the 1930s, the 1940s, and quite frankly, Spicer's assimilation of Assad to Hitler wasn't so far off the mark. This is well, exactly well, right, it's just the way he did it, where he was talking about how Hitler didn't use chemical weapons on, on his people and stuff like that. And, and again, my advice, Logan, to anybody is don't use Hitler analogies. It always works out bad. Well, but, this right. is true, but if you take a look... Everyone was turning their back on what was going on in Europe at the time. Yes. And there you had crazy people yes. just doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And no one was really saying anything about it, and millions of people were dying as a result. Well, well yeah, and let's look at it, Logan. If you want to look at the, the hot spots in the world now, it's Syria, it's, it's North Korea, and to an extent, it's the Ukraine. And in all those situations, you know, you have the Soviet Union that is kind of lined up um, on on the side of the, the regimes as opposed to the rest of the world. And it's fine if they want to decide to make those choices, but maybe it's time to ratchet some economic sanctions. Again, and I'm not saying drop bombs. That is not what I am encouraging them to do. But, no, you know, the, you, we, we hold the West holds the cards when it comes to the economy. And there's all sorts of things that we could do. And look, if you want to give Putin some face saving stuff, I'm, I, I don't think you need to embarrass him. I'm, I'm good with that. But you can't just let this go. No, you can't. You can't. You and and that's where I say we need to flex our economic muscle towards the east and the west. Yes, because we're the biggest buyer that's out there. Right. And um, no, right. Know. No, thank. No, thanks to call. You know, and it, it's interesting. We had a caller earlier this week when we were talking about a, a related sort of subject who, who made the point: Russians, the Russian economy, is dependent on exporting oil. If you want to, if you want to really put economic pressure on them. All right, all we have to do is continue to ratchet up domestic U.S. oil production and start exporting more of that, and we have the ability to do that with fracking and things like that. The more pressure you put on them, the more economic pressure that Russia has. That's how. That's really how Reagan won the Cold War. It, it was. It wasn't. It, to the extent it was a military buildup, because then Russia felt that they had to match it, and they kept putting all this money into their military, and the economy ended up crumbling. And so, but it's economic pressure. That's where it. That's where it comes in. That's where President Trump. That's where the Republican Congress. That's where the the ability to pressure lies. And if, if Vladimir Putin decides he wants to support somebody like Assad, who is willing to engage in genocide, fine. There have to be some consequences for that. Um, I think you know one of the interesting things that came out yesterday as well is that they've decided China is of course. China has been propping up this crazy person in North Korea for for essentially forever. And now I, I think from what I understand, the U.S. is starting to work with China to say, OK, are there ec- look, we want you to de-escalate the situation in North Korea, because the bottom line is, without your support, this crazy dictator in North Korea probably, you know, 
you know, the, the regime goes under. So, all right, you start to deal with China. You try to use economic you know, agreements or things like that to get them to do what I think everybody in the world agrees should be done, which is get rid of the dictator in North Korea. There's ways you can do it economically. Just saying. All right, coming up next, I have a cautionary tale for everybody down in Franklin. Stick around. It's 954. This is Jeff Wagner. 956, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How do you get the likes of Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones to play your stage? What's the key to convincing some of the most famous musical acts in history to come to your city? We'll pull the curtain back on the secrets of Summerfest when Don Smiley and Bob Babish join me for Insight 2017 next Wednesday night. You won't want to miss this rare sit-down with two of the entertainment industry's heaviest hitters. It's going to be great. Um, Tickets are available now online. Check them out at WTMJ.com. All right, I hope this is not a cautionary tale. Franklin. Uh, The Franklin Common Council, after much debate um, and much soul-searching a few months ago, approved a proposal that will spend somewhere around $27 million in taxpayer money to help finance this mixed-use development that they're talking about, the ballpark commons. And the the whole idea behind this is that the centerpiece is going to be a 2,500-seat minor league baseball stadium, and the developers are saying, well, we're going to put this down there, and then what's going to happen is we're going to have all this development. It's going to be this great mixed-use thing. We're going to have 400 apartments. We're going to have stores. We're going to have restaurants. We're going to have this great um, sports facility. It's going to be tremendous. And they've got these pie-in-the-sky estimates that say, hey, if we do this, the ballpark commons, it's going to have property values totaling $101 million by 2021. $101 million. And this is now 2017. And, of course... You know, everybody wants the magic beans. And the Franklin Common Council jumped on the magic beans and said, that this is great. You know, we're, we're going to do this. All right. Well, I hope it works. I, I do, I do, I do. But front page story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. New ballpark adds to Hartford's financial strain. Just like in Franklin. Well, the Hartford Yard Goats now have a, a new, now have a new stadium. And it was the same thing. Now, it was a bigger stadium, but it was the same idea. The the owners of this minor league team in Hartford, Connecticut, said, here, give us money to build a 6,000-seat stadium for this minor league team. And they said, yep, we're going to do that. Same thing. We're going to have all this mixed-use development. We're going to have apartments. We're going to have shops. We're going to have all this type of stuff. So Hartford is on the hook for $68 million. But Hartford's a lot bigger community than Franklin. But so $68 million, the new stadium is up there. And guess what? At least so far, all these pie-in-the-sky promises about all this mixed-use development and all these restaurants and all this retail and all these apartments ain't happening. Ain't happening. And now Hartford's going to have to borrow $20 million in bonds to cover a shortfall in the city's budget. I hope this ballpark commons things works out. I have been skeptical, though, from the beginning. And if you look at what's going on in Hartford, they tried the same thing. I'll be on a slightly bigger scale and it's not working so far. Cautionary tale for everybody down in Franklin. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner coming up in less than 10 minutes. If you're pulling your kid out of school, be careful. Stick around. 1009. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Sometime between now and 11 o'clock, we'll be giving away a four-pack of tickets to Insight 2017. Or is it Insight 2017? No, I call it Insight 2017. I'm not sure what the style book would say, but we'll be giving away a four-pack of tickets sometime between now and 11 o'clock. All right. Uh, this is 
this, depending on, on what school you go to, this week, I know a lot of people are out on spring break. Um, next week, uh, the week after Easter, is spring break for a number of schools. Maybe your school has had spring break uh, the, the last the week before this. So spring break is coming up. There is always a tension between, in many cases, okay, parents aren't going anywhere. It, it doesn't matter. But I know in many cases, parents decide that they're going to take trips. Um, it's like, all right, we've got spring break coming up. This is the opportunity. Now we're, we're going to go somewhere. And, and maybe it's we're going to go spend a week in Disney World. Maybe it's, hey, we're going to go um, across the country to visit so-and-so, wh- whatever. There, there's vacation. We're going to go skiing in Colorado, or we're going to go to Cancun, or we're going to take the whole family. That, that happens. And it creates a tension because what happens when mom and dad decide that the spring break, the week that you get off from school, isn't long enough and that you want to get a head start by taking the kids out early. You know, the idea is, let's say, for example, that let's say, for example, that last that, that this week was your kid's spring break. All right. What about and you say, OK, well, you know, this is this is it's all over Easter and things like that. What about if we we want to get a head start? We don't want to wait till Saturday, last Saturday to leave. We want to make this a 10-day trip or we want to make it a 2-week trip or whatever. So, we're going to pull the kids out of school a couple days before or maybe a couple days after. All right. Well, a lot of schools are having problems with this. Big story in the Chicago Tribune yesterday. Let me just share a portion of it with you, then we'll discuss it. Um, It was Friday before spring break, but at Jackson Elementary School in Elmhurst, 58 of the school's 450 students were already away from their classrooms. Parents of 23 of those students had filed written requests to the principal to take their children out of school to start early while a handful of the remaining 35 absences called in that day were likely due to sickness, the principal said that's not what's going on. Most of the absences are due to the parents deciding they're going to pull their kids early, out of school early, because they want to get a head start of on, on taking kids out of school. And the principal says it's very challenging. And they said four years ago, they created a policy to discourage pulling students out of school early for vacation. They say if a child is going to miss school for vacation, parents must write the principal at least two weeks beforehand requesting the student to be excused. Teachers will not provide missed assignments or homework until after the student returns. Um, the story goes on to talk about how this is becoming more and more of a trend and how when the teachers or the principals try to suggest, you know, it's really not a good idea to pull your kids out of school early and have them miss extra time either before or after the break simply to go to Disney World or thing, the parents cop attitudes and they argue, hey, look, what's the big deal about missing a couple days of, of classrooms? You know, we love to travel and the memories that we are making by taking our kids to Disney World or taking our kids to, you know, Cancun or whatever, that is so much more important than what they could get in a couple days of school. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Huge issue now. Is it responsible to regularly pull your kids out of school early to take them on vacations? Now, I want to be consistent here. 
This happens a lot in Wisconsin around the start of the deer hunting season, where that Friday before the deer hunting season, it starts on a Saturday in November. You know, a lot of times, uh, especially in, in you know th- those Fridays are gone because lots of the parents decide, okay, we're you know we're going to get a head start on this. I don't think it is a big deal to do it on an isolated basis, a day here, a day there. I think, though, regularly pulling your children out of school, and I say regularly, you know, two or three days early um, on a regular basis, I just, I actually think that that's kind of being irresponsible. But that's me. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand a day here and there, but if regularly it's, hey, we've got vacation scheduled, we do this in the fall, we do it in the spring, we want a head start, so we're going to miss a couple days here or there. I think at some point in time, it does become a big deal. Matthew in Milwaukee, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning. Um, I have a unique perspective in that I, I, I once taught um, in the inner city of Milwaukee, and, and uh, I now have teenage daughters, and I'm actually taking them on a trip starting on Friday, but I'm, I'm putting it within the, uh, the, the spring break uh, days that right. they got from school. Now, the thing that you that I don't know that you're necessarily taking into consideration is the perspective of the teacher who has half of their class missing right. due to, you know, a spring break or something along those lines. You can't further the lesson plan for fear that you're going to leave people behind. Well, sure. So that, that day or, or even two days that those students are not there, you have to fill in with luck. You, you, you can't possibly move along on the unit because then you will have lost several students, yeah. and then you're reteaching it once they come back, and those people that didn't leave are then sitting in class picking their nose. Right, right, because you, you can't do any, when, when, right, if, if in fact a third of the class is gone because everybody wants to get a head start on the trip to, to Cancun or whatever. Right. Um, so, I mean, I guess the problem, though, is, is there anything that the schools can do to kind of crack down on this? Because if mom and dad say, well, you know, we're, we're taking them, uh, the, the schools are kind of at the mercy of mom and dad. The only thing that I think you can do, and I, 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 would, I would applaud a, stu- a school or administrator in doing this, is educate the parents as to what that means for everybody else. Right. But that's about it. Uh, understand that, like, I would... I don't know that I've ever taken my student, my daughters out of school for anything other than an appointment for a, a dental. Sure, doctors. Yeah, sure. But I would have no problem taking my children out once in a blue moon. Once a yeah. once a. You know, no, I no, and I agree with you. Thanks. I mean, see, I I agree. I mean, look, and, and that's why I always defend the the. Okay, let let's we're going to take that Friday off for deer hunting. So I mean, I I think an isolated day here and there is okay. But, again, the point of this story is that this is becoming more and more commonplace, multiple vacations and multiple multiple days, not just even that Friday before, all right, um, we're, we're going to get a head start, we're going to leave that Friday, and then spring break is that whole next week. But it's talking about two or three days on one end, two or three days on the other end. And at some point in time, does it become a big deal? I, I would say, yeah. Kayla in Beaver Dam. Kayla, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I am calling from Beaver Dam, and I am an elementary teacher who is currently on spring break and loving it. Um, And as a teacher, I find it actually very frustrating. Uh, The reason is because the style of teaching nowadays, 
Um, there's so much collaboration between students. There's group work. It's very hands-on. Math is no longer sending worksheets home. It's exploring with manipulatives. And that truly can't be sent home. So when a student says they're going to be gone for a two-week vacation, send home all my extra work, in addition to teaching and preparing and doing all the correcting and meetings 65 hours a week that I do work, then I have to plan my usual lessons and then try to send home two weeks' worth of practice that I truly can't replicate is really hard as a teacher. Right, and, and, and you do have students. And again, I, we're, so in your example, we're not just talking about, okay, Jeff is going to be gone the Friday before the break. We're talking right. about, hey, we're, we're going on a two-week vacation, and so Jeff is yeah. going to be gone all that week, and then you've got the spring break as well. So you do see that type of thing, huh? Yeah. I got to imagine it's it's a difficult thing. Oh, th- thanks. For, I mean, and and again, I if you do this type of thing occasionally, uh, all right, maybe. It's, and it's, I also understand it's going to vary from kid to kid, but it is incredibly disruptive. Um, we continue the conversation next. I just think parents need to be careful doing this, especially if it becomes a habit. Ten eighteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. <laughs> Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The regular season is in the rearview mirror, and the Bucks can now focus on a first-round playoff series with the Toronto Raptors. The crew of Wisconsin's Afternoon News takes a deep dive into the matchup during Bucks Insiders at 345 today. Debbie in Brookfield. Debbie, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I'm kind of mixed on this. I never wanted to take my kids out of school for anything, but my one son had gotten a -a make-a-wish, and we were at the mercy of when they could do that. So we took them out for a week, and they had to get all their homework before they went on the trip, and they had to have it done by the time they get back. Sure. But in your case, it was sort of a a once-in-a-lifetime special thing. It's this make-a-wish thing, so it's... It's not like it's a regularly scheduled vacation. Right. In that matter, you, your choice was we're either going to go when it's available or we're not going to go at all. So you chose Correct. to go when it's available. Sure. Right. And my daughter is a teacher, and she had a, a child that um, was leaving, and there was a test the day that he was going to be gone. And he had to make up the test before he went. Right. To, to get that all taken care of. Yeah, right. I mean, look, and, and again, I'm, I'm, not being, I'm not being a Grinch here, and I'm, I'm certainly not arguing that people shouldn't go on vacations, and I understand sometimes there is this convenience factor that kicks in, but from what I'm able to glean, this is becoming more and more of a problem where kids are missing big chunks of time because mom and dad want more vacation time during the school year, and I honestly, I wonder... Is that for we want to make memories with the kids, or is it because, hey, this is our chance to get to Cancun, and if we're going to go to Cancun, a week isn't enough? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sherry in Hartford. Sherry, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. What do you think about um, all this? I work in the school district of Waukesha, and here's my take on it. There are 180 days on the school calendar. That leaves 185 days for family vacations, memory-making, all that good stuff. Right. I think it really sets bad habits. When you have a job, you need to show up. Um, We have families who routinely take their kids on a cruise in January right after Christmas break. 
Oh, really? Why, <laughs> so, why do they do that? The rates are lower. Sure. Sure. You so, know, and in Wisconsin, we do have a law. School attendance is mandatory, and a parent can excuse up to 10 days. Well, these families that take these vacations often go over their 10 days. That's truancy. It's illegal. Right. So you're saying that, like, for example, you have a family that they could go over Christmas break. They, they don't because... It's just cheaper, you know, if you go in early January than it is if you go over Christmas break. And right, that, because everyone has off to Christmas week, or many people do, I sure, shouldn't say right. everyone. Well, most schools are closed. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah, yeah, most schools are closed. Yeah, you get those two weeks that are there. Um, how did, You said you work in a school district. Is it disruptive when you have a large number of kids that are gone because they're on vacations? It's very disruptive. I work at a very nice high school, and we have many advanced placement classes that are super challenging. Um, those kids miss a lot when they're not there, and it does slow down the teaching for the other kids who are there. Right. And those same parents that pull their kids expect the teacher to come in early, stay late, give up lunch to help their kids catch up when they come back. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I, mean, thanks, I, guess I just see this as a balancing. A- and a day here, a day there isn't an issue. But I understand why schools are frustrated. If ever, and the reality is there's not a lot that they can do. I mean, the, the reality is if, if mom and dad say, okay, we're going on this vacation and, you know, we're pulling the kids out and they're going to miss an extra week of school, I, the school district, you can have all the policies you want, but it, it's your hands are relatively tied. But I guess I agree with the Chicago Tribune article that suggests that this really, if, it, if this is this once-in-a-lifetime trip, this is the only time we can go and this is the only chance that we can go, yeah, I, I get it, so that's what you do. But at the same point in time, if it's like, well, Disney World, trust me, Disney World is going to be there today, tomorrow. Disney World is going to be there five years from now, and it's going to be there in the summer. Um, you know, maybe maybe there needs to be that element of consideration as well. Just saying. 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Insight 2017 is coming up uh, next Wednesday night at the Country Springs Hotel. It starts at 630. I want you there. And you can go to WTMJ.com. You can purchase your tickets. But right now, caller number 14 to 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 14 wins a four-pack of tickets to come see me and this great guest lineup that we've assembled at Insight 2017 next Wednesday. Caller 14, 414-799-1620 wins a four-pack of tickets to Insight 2017 next Wednesday night at the Country Springs Hotel. All right, here's the story that, that caught my attention. Pokemon Go players are happy people. UW-Madison research suggests new research from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I think it's the Journal Sentinel reported this. New research from UW-Madison suggests that not only are Pokemon Go players walking more, they're happy people. When the popular mobile game was released last July, researchers across the country immediately hopped on to study its effects on millions of users taking to sidewalks and parks to pursue virtual Pokemon creatures that could capture, they could capture and train to do battle against each other. Um, the work 
newly published in the journal Media Psychology, suggests Pokemon Go users are more likely to be positive, friendly, and physically active. Don't tell that to the people who live around Lake Park who hate all the Pokemon Go people. Or at least they were in the game's first weeks. The researchers did not follow users over a period of time. So no long-term study of this. Here is my question as I am reading this. All right. First of all, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised that people who are playing Pokemon Go are happy. They're out there. They're exercising. They're, they're doing fine things. I guess my big question would be, and the story that I have doesn't tell me, how much money did we spend studying the effects of Pokemon Go on the psychology or the temperament of the people that are out there doing it? I mean, at some point in time, I recognize that all these things are kind of interesting, but if, if we spent more than about 50 bucks, and you know these things are always more than 50 bucks, trying to figure out, gee, does playing Pokemon Go make you happy or not? I think that would be God's way of telling whoever funded this research that you've got too darn much time on your hands. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. How did he become the only governor in American history to win a recall election? What was it like to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump on a presidential debate platform? Governor Scott Walker sits down with me next Wednesday night, and you can be there to see it live. It's Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee on Wednesday, April 19th. Tickets are available now. Buy them by going online at WTMJ.com, and we will see you there. All right. When I used to travel to Chicago a lot, I, I typically – the way to go down to Chicago is to take Amtrak. You know, in my opinion, if you've got business downtown, it's easy. You park at the train station up here. You take – especially if the business is downtown, you take the train down. It's easy. It's no muss, no fuss. The train runs a lot. I, I love the Amtrak route. So I am a fan of Amtrak. At the same – and I, I like trains in general. But the truth is trains – do not pay for themselves. They are subsidized, as is many form, as are many forms of mass transportation. When it comes to commuting, that is getting people between Milwaukee and Chicago or between Boston and New York or New York and Washington, D.C., I, it, I understand that in order to move people in these high-density areas, you know, it makes sense, and you don't necessarily expect the trains to make money, just like we don't expect You know, the buses to make money because the buses are, in fact, subsidized. When it comes to long-distance travel on trains, though, it is a very, very different story. Now, there are people who, for example, will, as part of vacations, and we were just talking about vacations earlier, they will say, hey, we we love the trains, and it's kind of nostalgic, and so what we want to do is we want to... We want to take a train between Chicago and Los Angeles, and we want to take a few days and we want to do this. It's kind of an expensive sort of thing, but it is vacation travel. It is also most of these routes, they are money-losing routes. So what President Trump is talking about doing as part of his new budget is essentially eliminating most long-distance Amtrak service. For example, the service between Chicago and the West Coast, the, sh- the travel between New York and, and Chicago. It would really do away with money for all 15 long-distance passenger rail routes. 
it would leave most of the commuter routes and the ones that get heavily that are heavily trans used for example up and down the eastern seaboard they would remain intact but the trains that lose money and the routes that go from chicago to los angeles those type of things they would end up being eliminated now as you might expect a lot of the people who love love trains are very, very unhappy about this. And they're saying, well, look, even though these things lose money, there is still this value. You've got this wonderful history that comes with rail travel, and it's been important historically in the nation, uh, in this country, for us to have you know, cross-country rail transit. And if you do away with these Amtrak passenger trains, that will no longer, that won't happen because there's just not enough money to otherwise support the routes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do like train travel. I, I, I do. But at a time of budget cuts and tight money and trying to look at where you can cut things, I'm not arguing that you should cut train travel. But I think the money needs to be put in the commuter routes, the trains that people are using on a regular basis. And if you've got routes which are essentially for vacation travelers that aren't necessities and aren't paying for themselves and aren't close to paying for themselves, while I hate to see these things go, I think that is inevitable. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that some people are going to be nostalgic about, well, I remember the time I took that cross-country train trip. But the reality is there's not that many people that are doing it. There's not enough to pay for it. So should the taxpayers continue to subsidize it? And candidly, I just don't think in today's day and age, with all the economic needs we have, that we can afford to be nostalgic. All right, should we be funding long-range train travel? Again, the, the vacation trip, you want to travel from Chicago to Los Angeles, you want to travel from New York to Chicago, you want to see the country from the trains. All right, that's great, sounds good, but it's a money-losing proposition. Should we be underwriting it? Donald Trump says no, and I actually agree with him. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be subsidizing long-distance train travel? I don't think so. We discuss. Stick around. Wagner 620 WTMJ. Hey, tomorrow, 910, is your next chance to follow the Brewers. This is a great promotion. Tune in tomorrow right around 910. We do this just as soon as the uh, 9 o'clock news ends. Listen for your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Cardinals later this month at Miller Park and qualify to follow the Brewers to Chicago. Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles & Company, and the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ. All right, Amtrak, last year, last fiscal year, um, $227 million in, in operating losses. The overwhelming, the, the vast majority of those losses comes from what they call their long-distance train. Their, their 15 long-distance trains. And so as part of the Trump budget, they're saying, hey, you know, th- this is not paying for itself. It's not close to paying for itself. We appreciate the value of train travel, and we want to keep the train travel on the commuter routes. But th- these long-distance trains, it's a free market type of thing. People aren't riding it, or they're not paying enough to to support the lines. 
And so this is largely leisure travel, not exclusively, but largely leisure travel. It's time for this to go. Let's start with Taylor in River Hills. Taylor, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. You know, I, I really, really uh, couldn't agree with you more. And as a matter of fact, I've been planning with my mother later this summer or early next summer to take a train out west one way, fly back, of course, and... Um, I think it's something that she would really enjoy, but there's no way that the government should, should be doing this uh, for the tune of almost $300 million. And what I don't understand is, is if we are supposed to be as developed as we are, why don't we have a, a train? I'm sorry, for example, I'll be in China next month, and I'm going from Shanghai to Beijing, which is 12 hour, uh, 1,200 miles away, in five hours, and there's no stops. Right. It is just a straight bullet train. Now, people would, I think people would get on board with that over taking two or three days to go, you know, 15, 1,600 miles and stopping 25, 30 times in between. I mean, right. it doesn't No, no, it, I mean, it's clear. The long-distance trains right now are, are for almost all the riders, I would have to imagine, are, are the vacation type of thing. It, it's the sightseeing. It's the leisurely things. Because, yeah, if, if, you're, if, if you're a business person, you've got to go from Chicago to Los Angeles or Boston to Chicago, you, you're, you're going to fly. <laughs> you've know, you, you got to get there. You're not going to take two or three days to do that. Absolutely. But I, I do believe the leisurely person who is no longer, um, in, you know, in their 40s, you know, 30s maybe, and maybe even 50s or 60s, but... A lot of the older people don't mind taking a few days to get there, but even leisurely people who are younger would still like to ride and get to a place in five or six hours instead of two or three days and maybe make the return trip instead of yeah. instead of flying because you can still see things even though you're going 250 miles an hour. Well, it, you know, it'll be interesting because, you know, out in California, they're, they're working on this, this bullet train. It'll be interesting, to, you know, it's going to connect theoretically, you know, Los Angeles to San Francisco. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Are there people, is there going to be enough ridership to try to support that? And, of course, as you make point, I mean, high-speed trains are a big deal in Europe. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I guess the question becomes, though, is the United States really ready for that? Probably not. Yeah, but, but I wish they would be. Yeah, thank no, thank, you. no, thanks. I appreciate it. Again, it's just, and I'm not anti-train. I, I, I'm not. I again, and I, I appreciate that. I do think trains have a role in moving people around. Like I say, I mean, I, I don't think there's any better way to go to Chicago, um, especially downtown Chicago, than to take the train. It's just, it's easy. It's very, very, I think, cost efficient to do that. Um, you, you save again. You, you save the parking hassles of downtown Chicago. Um, you, you just take it down there. It, it, so I, I'm not anti-train, and I understand, especially along the Eastern Seaboard, where you have just huge ridership because there's enormous population center that's going between Boston and New York and D.C. or wherever. Um, that makes sense. And if we've got limited resources, that's where I think you want to put the money in. Let's talk to Tom in West Dallas. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Well, good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Uh, this is my sixth year of taking the California Zephyr out and back to Winter Park, Colorado, to go okay. skiing. We take uh, Amtrak down to Chicago, then we board the California Zephyr, and 21 hours later we are in Winter Park. Right. Um, if it has to be subsidized to the dollar amounts you maintain, it, it should not be subsidized. That's crazy. But I'm going to tell you, it is the only way to travel. Uh, it is it is luxurious. It's peaceful. It's relaxing. You get to see the countryside. 
and uh, we just flew out to Montana to go skiing as well a couple of weeks ago, and you get treated like a criminal. I mean, they assume you're a criminal. You, you have to prove that you're not a criminal. Take off your shoes, stand in a scanner, put your arms out uh, above your head, then get frisked. I'm 69 year old white male. Yeah. How many how many terrorists profile like right, that? But, but of course, the, the point is, Tom. See, uh, you said okay, you're you're 69, so maybe you don't have as much. You've got a little more time on your hands, perhaps, than, than other people have. So there's not as much pressure to try to get there. I mean, I guess the question is, my I would imagine that a lot of people who are going skiing for that thing, they just want to get there, and so that means they want to get on the plane. They don't want to spend 21 hours on a train. They just want to get there and start their vacation. Well, the train travel is part of the vacation. Ah. For us, it's part of the enjoyment. And let me tell you, you don't fly direct hardly anywhere. Right. You're laying over. When we went to Montana, where we had to, we flew up to Minneapolis, we had a layover there at two and a half hours. Uh, then we get there. You always allow a day for travel, even when you're flying. How much? How much does your ticket cost? I'm curious. Do you remember offhand? Uh, it was less than flying uh, was. Um, I, I, okay. Honestly, the sure. round trip, I think it was about $400. Okay. Well, I, and three, it, 300 Well, and I guess to, to make it, obviously that is being subsidized as part of the problem. That's what they say. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not, I appreciate that there is a, a grandeur and there is a, a fun, there, there's a fun element to, to train transportation. And on the one hand, you're sorry to see that go. I understand all that, but Amtrak is losing hundreds of millions of dollars, and they say the vast majority of those hundreds of millions of dollars that they are losing are on these 15 long-distance routes, and that tells me it's either because not enough people are riding it or because they're not charging enough to the people that are riding it to pay for it. So can we continue to – if we're looking at priorities – can we continue to subsidize, again, what is largely vacation travel, um, or sh- should that money be better spent elsewhere? Bruce, uh, Bruce, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I just took the Empire Builder from uh, Columbus, Wisconsin to Seattle. Right. And your comments about being vacation travel is uh, unfounded because probably 90% of the people on there were, were um, oil workers. They're coming from North Dakota and such, and they don't have any other way to get home. Other than, well, sure, they have all sorts of ways to get home. I mean, they they could take buses, they could rent cars, they could drive, they could drive to, you know, an airport. They they do have airports in North Dakota, and they could fly. Yeah, but that's like four hours. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, There's I no I, enterprise rent a car in North Dakota. Well, okay. So you're There's, telling me that everybody that's working in, in fracking in North Dakota doesn't have access to a car? No, they leave their trucks there. They drive trucks. Well, uh, and you get on the train. That train was packed. There was probably there wasn't another seat empty. Well, I, I guess, but, from, but 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 it's not paying for itself. The the, the long distance right. trains well, are losing money. Right, but you have a minimum of three people per car that you pay sixty thousand dollars a year for to, for attendance. Um, there's a uh, a lot of people on there that the um, the government makes them have this many people on the train. And that's part of it. Plus, you subsidize the airports. The airports go to an airport with airplanes. We right. We, we do. We do subsidize things. But, uh, but well, here's. I mean, here's the number, they, Bruce. I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the, the hard numbers on this. Um, the number are about 4.6 million people rode the 15 long distance trains last year. Okay, so that's. I mean, that that's nothing to sneeze at. 
But statistically, given the number of people that ride trains, that's really a very, very small percentage. And I guess I'm, I'm sorry, but this idea that – to me, I'm kind of this free market guy. This idea that if we, okay, did, didn't have the train that goes through North Dakota, that people who live in North Dakota – would no longer be able to figure out a way to get out of North Dakota. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't buy that. Now, if you want to have a priorities discussion, and you want to say whether or not it makes sense, this is a good use of you know two hundred plus million dollars a year to subsidize people who are working in the oil fields in North Dakota so they can get back to Chicago in a more, I don't know, on the train as opposed to, I don't know, in a car or on a bus or on a plane, all right, I'm, I'm willing to have that discussion. But right now it's not paying for itself. It's not close to paying for itself. And you do end up, I mean, I think having having to have priorities. A flip side, if you want to keep it, is, okay, raise the rates. You know, if you end up raising the rates, does that change the dynamic? And look, I, I, I'm a fan of trains. Okay, I, I am. But at some point in time, you have to say, all right, is this still a practical sort of thing, and is this the best way to spend money? Just saying. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now that the United States and Russia have met about the situation in Syria, Scafidi and Bilstad ask, are we forgetting about another potential threat in North Korea? Steve thinks so, and he will explain today at 135. Got, got a note on our text line saying, is there a dress code for Insight 2017? No. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on what you're planning to wear. But as a general rule, no. Um, I think really the only dress code is probably me. I, you know, I'll, but I, I've been trying to class up the act. Um, we, we've got um, our Pop Culture Corner segment coming up. I'm not sure if we're going to Facebook Live it today or not. But I'm, I, I've been trying to class it up a little bit, at least as far as the only dress code that I am aware of, uh, again, beyond – you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service for insight is the, the only dress code is probably going to apply to me. Hey, there's a story that's in today's paper that I want to just offer a little bit of clarification on. Um, the, the story, family of Dontre Hamilton, Milwaukee man fatally shot by police, prevails in early legal round. Um, this is, of course, you know, everybody knows about the story about Dontre Hamilton, um, who was shot in Red Arrow Park. April of 2014 by the subsequently dismissed uh, Milwaukee police officer, um, Christopher Manny. And and there's a federal lawsuit that's pending. And the, the story is how the federal judge, Judge J.P. Stadmiller, and um, I knew Judge Stadmiller when he was Joe. He was the he was he was he was the United States attorney who hired me. Hired me. I was, I think, his first hire, or one of his two first hires when I was getting out of law school. He was just become the United States attorney, and so Joe actually, Judge Stadmiller, actually got me my start. And he was appointed to the federal bench by uh, President Reagan, I think, in like 1987 or so. But but he's got the case, and the, the first question was whether or not the initial stop where the officer came and confronted um, Hamilton, whether or not um, that was whether or not the pat down was was lawful and the decision is that the judge said no it wasn't and that just sets the stage for future proceedings um the what's kind of lost in this is that the judge really didn't make an independent ruling 
What he did was relied on the state court ruling. Um, there was litigation at the state level, and there's already been a circuit court judge that said, no, that the initial pat-down, and this came in the context of the police officer trying to fight his dismissal, a circuit court judge in Milwaukee has already said, no, the pat-down wasn't lawful. And so what the judge, the federal judge did is he really just adopted this ruling. He didn't make any independent ruling. He just said, okay, the state court judge has already ruled on this. There's no reason for me to relitigate it. So it is correct that that's where the case stands to the extent it applies that there was an independent review or something taken. I don't think that's the case. You just got the federal judge that adopted this ruling. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, there's no secret that one of the things that is plaguing the city of Milwaukee is the rise of crime. And what we see is that actually most people that live in the city of Milwaukee are law-abiding people. But the problem is you have a certain hardcore criminal element, people that are out there committing crimes over and over and over again. And the story, how many stories do we have in any given week about somebody that's been involved in a carjacking or a shooting or a burglary or fill in the blank, and they've been through the court system time and time again, and they're out on bail or they're on probation or they've been released after serving like 30 days. That That is the frustration. And if you talk to police, they'll tell you that's their biggest frustration. They arrest the same people over and over again, and the revolving door criminal justice system in Milwaukee County turns them loose that is no more that the best example of that comes when we start talking about juveniles who commit crimes the juvenile court system in this state let's broaden it beyond milwaukee county the juvenile court system is an absolute joke when the juvenile code was written years and years ago it it wasn't i don't believe lawmakers understood the type of criminals that we were going to be dealing with in 2015, 16, 17, 18. I think the image was, well, you've got these juveniles that are out there and, and you know, and, and maybe they're out TPing houses or they're throwing eggs or they're shoplifting. Um, you know, maybe once in a while there might be a, they steal a car and go on a joyride. The, the people who did the juvenile code, I just don't think understood that you were going to have this hardcore criminal element that was going to develop. And and 12 and 13-year-olds, in some cases, recruited by older gangsters to commit crimes. But in other cases, 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds who are just out running the street over and over again. You know, we had the story that we talked about last week. Kid that has been through the juvenile justice system since he was 12 years old. He's now 15. He's been implicated in, what, 22 car thefts. They found his fingerprints on 22 stolen cars, and you've got some juvenile court judge that decides, well, I'm still not going to wave him into adult court. <laughs> All right. I mean, at, at some point in time, don't we have to acknowledge that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and not realizing that, the re- you know, not being, being surprised that the result isn't different? And so for the hardcore juvenile offenders... I think it is way past time for us to recognize that what we've been doing now is not working. And if that means changing the law, and if that means taking some of these decisions out of the hands of some of these juvenile court judges who are coddling hardcore 
repeat offenders, even if they're 15 or 16 years old, I say it's it's way past time. And number of representatives do as well. There's an, a new package of, of bills which be, are being introduced by State Representative Joe Sanfilippo from New Berlin, and he's one of the stars in the Assembly, as well as uh, State Senator Leah Vukmir, who's, again, Leah's a well-known, she's a star herself. And these are, this is kind of, I lump it in the category of, like, enough is enough. They call it the Victim Protection Package. I would call it the Enough is Enough Package. Um, of these eight bills that they're introducing, two of the bills targeting juveniles would create tougher penalties, including increased minimum mandatory sentences for repeat offenders, more penalties for carjacking, and it would make it easier for the Department of Corrections to revoke parole. Also, what this would do is set parameters that for certain types of crimes, like the carjackings and the car thefts and things like that, after a certain point, um, the judge's discretion to simply slap the child on a wrist, the wrist, and send them back out on the street would end. Now, the effect of this would be more and more juveniles treated as juvenile court, not waived to adult court, but treated as juveniles, would be sent to the various juvenile prisons that we have, Lincoln Hills and Copper Lake. Now, these are, these are the places where, again, there's all, this, there's all these problems um, about the, the whole situation. Oh, geez, are, the, are these kids mistreated and things like that? And, of course, part of the problem with the, these facilities is that the type of people that we are sending to them are hardcore criminals, and they're really not set up to deal with the 15-year-old hardcore criminal. But in any event, the, the, as part of this package of these laws, what it would do is it would essentially take discretion away from some of these juvenile court judges and end up for, again, the repeat car thieves, the repeat carjackers, sending them to the juvenile prisons. Is this too tough? Is this too harsh? Or, as in my opinion, is this long overdue? Is it time to once and for all revamp the juvenile justice system to say to people who are the multiple carjackers or the kids that have stolen the 22 um, cars, it's over. You are going to a juvenile facility. Even if you're not going to be waived into adult court, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to the juvenile prison. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think these, these bills are what I would describe as a good start. And it's way past time for us to start toughening up the way we handle juvenile offenders. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven eighteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ, Clinton Bayview. Clint, good morning. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. This it seems to me this law is way overdue. It's time to stop treating these repeat juvenile offenders with kid gloves. Oh, absolutely, long overdue. You know the the law-abiding citizens of our communities. Uh, we deserve uh, to be kept safe, but also, you know, I think. If, if we didn't allow it to get to this point, you know, if, if we reprimanded these kids earlier before they become hardened criminals, we'd be keeping them safer, you know? And yeah. 
when when they're on their 22nd car they're stealing, running away from the cops, and then they crash and, and kill themselves, or if they try stealing the car from the wrong person the 23rd time yep. and, and they get shot, that's bad news for them, too. So just like when a kid touches a hot stove, you correct that right away because if you don't, the kid thinks, oh, that's something I can do, you know? So uh, it's long overdue, and, and it's, it'll keep them yeah. safe as well as us safe. No, right, and it has the possibility of some degree of, of deterrence. And, again, I part of this is the people who sit as juvenile court judges in Milwaukee County. That is part of the problem. But other parts of the problem are the way the law is written, which says that, okay, you always have to use the least restrictive alternative. I mean, seriously, this judge who decides not to waive a kid who's been stealing cars since, what, the age of 12 or 13 and is implicated in 22 different car thefts and who's been in and out of different facilities, she's not waiving him into adult court. Well, that's, that's on the judge. That, that to me, is a complete and total lack of common sense. But this idea that, well, you, you have to understand, I'm going to try to, I want to rehabilitate the child. Well, we all want to rehabilitate people. I get it. That makes sense. But the problem with this is if there aren't consequences, if you never teach them that bad things are going to happen, you're never going to rehabilitate them. Gee, we're, we're going to put them, um, let, let's say, okay, we're, we're going to send them to a group home. Okay, well, all right. Then they walk away from the group home and they steal t- 10 or 12 cars. Okay, now, now we've caught them, so okay, we're going to do a more secure group home. Okay, and then they walk away from that and they steal another 10 or 20 cars. You are not rehabilitating them. You are simply passing it down the line. And unfortunately, this happens on a regular, this happens on a, if not daily, a weekly basis, particularly in Milwaukee County. And if for whatever reason it's judges' interpretation of the law or it's just their natural inclinations to be touchy-feely because they don't want to realize that maybe there needs to be consequences for some 15-year-old, for example, that's out there committing carjackings or stealing car after car after car, well, all right, then maybe you need to take that discretion away from the judge. But the bottom line is, by coddling juvenile criminals, you are not doing anybody any favors. You're sure as heck not doing the people out in the community who don't want to have their cars stolen you're not doing them any favors and you're not doing the kid a favor because who knows if they can be turned around but part of the problem is we are creating this this criminal class and and it's, it's at a younger and younger age and you don't just stop with with car thefts i mean in the case of the 15 year old that we're talking about the judge decides not to wave him into adult court, even though there's a video of the kid waving a gun around, for goodness sakes, you know, and pretending to be a gangster. Well, okay, you think at some point in time that that kid's not going to take that gun and stick it in somebody's face? I mean, seriously? Really? And at what point in time do you have to say, we've got to start protecting the community? And candidly, I, I guess... Do you like the idea of, like, sending some 15-year-old off to a juvenile facility for three years or four years? Okay, all right, yeah, that's bad. But I like the idea of that same juvenile stealing another 20 cars and sticking a gun in some woman's face and pulling the trigger. I like that a lot less. And if I'm going to stand up for somebody, I'm going to be standing up for the innocent victim who shouldn't have some hardcore criminal, even at the age of 15, out on the streets taking their car at gunpoint. And you know... That happens with alarming regularity, and something needs to be done. And actually, I think uh, Senator Vukmir and Representative Sanfilippo are on to something.
It's 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner. We've had a kind of a fast-paced show today, lots of heavy topics. We're going to take the foot off the gas a little bit, have some fun. Um, I've been looking forward to today's Pop Culture Corner for a while. He's at the forefront of Wisconsin's fight against the ugly opioid epidemic. And next Wednesday night, you get a chance to gain insight on the battle he's waging across the state. Attorney General Brad Schimmel, he's going to be joining me at the Country Springs Hotel for Insight 2017. Look, if you've got a teenage kid or you have younger kids who are going to be teenagers, you want to come out. This is an opportunity to see... um, See Brad up close and personal, and it's a topic that's going to hit close to home for many people, and it's a night you're not going to want to miss. Matter of fact, he is presenting at a national conference on opioid abuse, and he's going to be coming, I think, from the airport uh, to Insight. Tickets are available now online at WTMJ.com. It's Insight 2017, next Wednesday night, April 19th. All right. It appears that the city of Milwaukee has finally decided to cut its losses and move on. No, no, no. They're still going ahead with Tom's Trolley Folly. They're still going to be spending $100-plus million to build the streetcar that nobody is going to ride, that goes nowhere, that doesn't go anywhere that people want to go, but they're still going to be spending that. But for, for years, the city has been fighting efforts of private business people to, and I hope you're sitting down, hope you're sitting down, to open another strip club in downtown Milwaukee. Now, there are, I am told, strip clubs in downtown Milwaukee. Matter of fact, there, there's, there's a couple. Now, I haven't been in these places for probably at least 30, probably at least 30 or 35 years. And my guess is they haven't changed. Probably the carpet's no different at some of these places. But there are, there, there are a couple strip clubs in downtown. Well, for the last several years, the city of Milwaukee has been pretty much arbitrarily saying, okay, no strip clubs, no strip clubs, no strip clubs. They have been sued, and, you know, they've, they've lost pretty consistently. Last year, city officials had to approve a nearly $1 million payment to the owners of Silk Exotic, who have the strip club out on um, Silver Spring and Highway 100, who've been fighting for years to open a new um, club downtown. So anyhow, here's the deal that is being negotiated. They're going to apparently allow, or at least consider, allowing opening a club at 730 North Old World 3rd Street. That's um, right, by the, right by the convention center is, is where it is. If you can picture 3rd uh, Street, Old World 3rd Street, it would be north of Wisconsin Avenue by a, a block or two. That, that's kind of where that would be. Um, th- these agreements would involve the owners of Silk Exotic, and apparently as a condition of the agreement, um, nothing of which has been signed, according to the Journal Sentinel, but this is being negotiated because every time the city tries to fight it, they get sued and they lose, and it's costing taxpayers millions and millions of dollars. The city agrees, it says, that they will not enact legislation that substantially burdens the operation of a gentlemen's club, I use that term euphemistically, for a period of six years from the date the agreement is fully executed. City officials, for example, would uh, not ban champagne rooms um, where exotic dancers perform. They would not require dancers to remain a certain distance from patrons while performing, um, etc., etc., etc. So I understand that some people think that this is going to lead to the complete demise of downtown. I, I have argued all along that If you go to most of the major cities, in the area where there is the convention center, there is a place like this. And if you have a place like this, you have every right to make sure that the 
there's not underage drinking, that there's not prostitution going on, that there's not drug trafficking going on. But, you know, that's the same burden that you have with a lot of other businesses and bars as well. So I, I think this was an inevitable sort of thing. I don't think this is going to be the destruction of the neighborhood. If you put up a, and I understand it, it some might, might be an oxymoron to say a classy strip joint, but if you put up a classy strip joint, my, my guess is maybe it will attract some business from the conventioners or people who are coming into town. I'm not sure how many locals are going to be patronizing, but, but what do I know? I don't go to those places, but I, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. If you put a place like this on Old World 3rd Street, um, it will be... I think filling a need that some conventionaires decide that they're they're going to want, and rather than having to drive to some of the places that are on the outskirts of town or to some of the other, well, I, I would say perhaps less, uh, more well-known, but perhaps less ritzy clubs that are in the downtown area. I just don't think this is going to be the end of the world. And if it stops lawsuits and gets the taxpayers off the hook from having to pay more and more in damages, I say go for it. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us tomorrow. Tomorrow at 910 is your next chance to follow the Brewers. Tune in, and it's approximately 910. We do it right after the um, the 9 o'clock news ends. Listen for your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Cardinals later this month and qualify to follow the Brewers out to Chicago this May. The way it works is we have a daily winner. And that winner gets the four-pack of tickets to see the home game. In this case, it's the Brewers playing the Cardinals. And then later on Friday morning, we will randomly select one name from the five daily winners we have, and that person will will send to follow the Brewers on the road. Um, I'm really thrilled to be doing this. And uh, Brewers, a couple wins. I I was saying this earlier on. Right after the season started, some people, oh, this is going to be a terrible season. They went 2-5 and on the first homestand. Yeah, but, but, you know, relax. I tell people that a lot. That's my philosophy on a lot of things right now. It's just relax. Everything will be okay. The Brewers are going to be okay. Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles and Company, and the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we do this time this, this time every Thursday. It's um, we, we put aside the heavy lifting. And I, I understand that there's all sorts of stuff going on in Syria and North Korea and flying on airplanes and crime and all those different things. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time during the course of the week discussing those things. And every once in a while, I like to just lighten it up a little. And we do a segment I call Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we talk about food, sometimes movies, sometimes music. Um, it just sometimes sports. It just depends on... I guess what has kind of tickled my fancy in a given week and what I hope will, will tickle your fancy. And generally speaking, it's it's triggered by something that has gone on in the, the pop culture world. Um, I am, for this week, our, our segment is going to involve television. I, I admit that I am a stone-cold TV junkie. I, I, I admit it, when I go home, one of the first things I do is turn on the television. The guy who does a radio show admit that. Well, I, I also listen. I can multitask. I also listen to the radio a lot, too. But I, I, I turn on the TV. And I, I'm always, I, I'm just, it's always on. It's kind of like background noise. And I, I have, it's just always 
been that way with me. I mean, ever since I was a kid. And so, I mean, I've grown up watching a lot of great shows. I think that you can make an argument that, that right now and the last five or ten years, with the explosion of all the different cable networks that are there and all the stuff that's out there, the various streaming things that you have, that the Netflix and the Amazon, you know, that, that are producing their, their own content, I think you can argue that this, if if the 50s were a golden age of TV, I think you can argue that this is certainly the second golden age of television. There are so many great shows that are out there. As a matter of fact, the big problem that I have is that I, I think there's there's just almost, there's too much to watch. You know, and I, I will be, like, reading reviews of, like, different TV shows that are coming out. And candidly, given the fact that I'm, I'm really trying desperately to have a life, I, I just I don't have time. I don't have time to watch the stuff that I know I like, much less the time to find other things, you know, that I, I want to watch. I mean, yesterday, for example, I, I've been meaning, I, and I don't even DVR stuff anymore. I, I almost, I should say, I almost never DVR stuff anymore because I just don't, I find I just don't have a t- an opportunity to watch it. So I have to be really selective in picking and choosing things. But I, I, there's a lot of good stuff that's out there. And one of the things that also you, you need to know about me is I'm kind of a completist. I mean, I I don't like to come into the show in, in a middle of a show. I mean, I like to watch it from beginning to end. A lot of these shows that have been going on a couple years, you, you come in in the middle and you just have no clue. Um, the Americans, which is a very, very well thought of show. It involves Russian spies. It's set in the 70s and the 80s. Um, it's It gets all these great reviews. I, I watched... A little bit of it the first year, it never really stuck, and then I didn't watch it. And now it's like the fifth season. I can't pick it up right now. I, with the only way I could start to watch that show is if I, you know, went back and watched all three or four years that that have led up to where they are now. So what's happening is there's all this good stuff out there that you have to pick and choose. But one of the things that is around now is be, whether it's through you know um, the ability to download stuff through the internet or whether it's through the ability you know to buy the you know the you know various the discs you know the DVDs of the shows that are out there or to stream them or whatever you you now have the opportunity to engage in binge watching and I was actually I was talking to my friend this week uh, Better Call Saul which is a prequel to Breaking Bad featuring one of the characters, the kind of sleazy lawyer um, Saul Goodman. Uh, that that had its third season debut. And I was talking to um, a friend of mine, and he was saying that you know he, he really liked it, but he didn't get an opportunity to see like the last half of last season. So what he did was he sat down last weekend, knowing that the show was going to debut on Monday night on AMC, and he, he binge-watched. He sat and he watched five or six um, he, he watched the five or six shows from last season that he hadn't seen, so he was all caught up. And he said it was really great. It was one of the, these binge-watching shows. And I know there's, I know that you probably do something like that from time to time, too. Like, I, all right, I love this show. I've fallen behind. Or everybody's telling me this is such a great show. I want to sit down. I want to binge-watch it. And I thought we'd have a little bit of fun for Pop Culture, Culture Corner for a Thursday. 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What TV show, in your opinion, is the most binge-worthy? If you, I don't know, it's, it's going to be a weekend, 
and you're for whatever reason you're not going out you've got a bunch of time to kill and you're sitting there and you're going to either download it or you're going to stream it or you're going to go pull out the DVDs or whatever okay what's that show that you're willing to spend 6 8 10 12 hours whatever it is binge watching the most binge watching worthy t- binge worthy TV show that's out there 414-799-1620 that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line we discuss, and as I always advise people during these segments, our call volume tends to be extremely high, so call early, and also don't overthink it. I mean, whatever whatever show comes to mind, typically first in mind, I say that's the one you should go with. 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner. We're talking about the TV show that's most binge-worthy. Let's start with Dan in Grand Marsh. Dan, good morning. Good morning. It would have to be House of Cards. <laughs> The Netflix original. If you haven't seen it, watch it from season one all the way to current. You know, interestingly, the, I was trying to think. I think the last TV show that I actually, I, I, I'm one of the last people in America that I, that hasn't actually signed up for Netflix. I've got it, but I haven't signed up for it to pay the money. So I had the, the DVD of season two. I think the last... The last show I actually did where I was talking about, like, hold up for the weekend and watched one after another was season two of House of Cards. So I, I know exactly what you mean. Is, is season season four is out now, right? Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. Um, no, th- that was interesting. I. It's interesting. I guess I liked it. It didn't hold my attention enough to make me watch season three. So I haven't seen season three, much less season four. But um, yeah, House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. Let's see. Um, let's talk to Marsha in Chicago. Marsha, good morning. Good morning. Okay, most binge-worthy TV show? Mad Men okay. from AMC. Okay. Um, were you did you were you a regular watcher when you when it was on, or did you find it you know after it had been on for a while? No, I was obsessed with it originally. Yeah. Have you gone back and watched any of it since it went off the air? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I understand why people love that. It's funny. The first couple of years I liked, and then I, I kind of thought it went on a little bit too long. But it was that was certainly one of those conversation pieces. It was a water cooler show. You had to watch it because everybody else watched it and talked about it. Well, and Sopranos, too, is Yo. my second choice. Oh, yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I, that's... You know that that's a that that's just a great that's just a great one. Uh, Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, uh, good morning to you. Um, I actually had the Sopranos okay. as well, but uh, if she, as the caller before said, that is a great show. But I'll tell you one other one real quick. Cheers would oh. be another one that I could sit and watch. Just, for... just over and over again, huh? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. No, I, I get it's. You know, I, I will. I, I have to. I have to throw in this pitch because the, the lady I'm seeing now, she's a huge fan of um, Friends, and, and so she, I, I, you know, she'll, she'll sit and watch three or four episodes of Friends at a time. And so, if I'm going to sit with her, that means that I'm watching three or four episodes of Friends. And I didn't watch Friends the first time around, but I'll tell you, I mean, some of the stuff it, it does, it makes me, if not laugh out loud, it does in fact make me smile. So I kind of get that, and I would lump Cheers into that same category. I'm a huge fan of The Sopranos, and I, I agree. I could watch a whole bunch of them back-to-back. My criticism of, of Sopranos, like my criticism of a lot of shows, is I think it went on too long. I mean, I think they started repeating storylines, and I think after four seasons they had probably told all the stories, and instead they tried to stretch it out to six or whatever. But But I thought... I mean, I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. Let's talk to um, Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Good morning, Jeff. Um, I would highly recommend, um, particularly if you like the movie, um, the television series uh, Fargo. Right. There are two seasons of it that are out, and the, what's interesting about it is they're encapsulated seasons. So they're, while it's, it is right. Fargo-related and the storylines are similar, they're completely separate stories. In fact, uh, we just uh, binge-watched the first season after watching the second season on FX. Right. And in, my teenage daughter now sounds like she's from Fargo. <laughs> she walks around the house going, oh, is it reasonable? Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is really, it is very, very good. And the third season, I believe, starts in about two weeks on right. FX. Yeah, you know, it, it's. I, I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan of the movie. I'm also a huge fan of the series. I think it's well done. And I, matter of fact, I'm hoping. I don't know how I'm going to have the time to do this, but I'm hoping that before this third season starts, they, they show all the the second season ones. You know, like back to back. Sometimes they'll do that in a marathon because well, I'd, I'd kind of like to reacquaint myself with it. They they actually have been showing have, yeah. um, all of the second season now. They may do a back to back marathon, but the first season Billy Bob Thornton is right. amazing. In it. Oh yes, and uh, the second season has uh, Kristen Dunst in it. Right. So there are some big actors that are in this, recognizable actors, and the, the characters in the storyline are fantastic. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, I right, I agree, and I'm looking forward to. And again, I watched it as it was on, so I've seen it. But it's one of those, and I'm sure there's stuff about it that I've forgotten. And even though you're right, the seasons are encapsulated, meaning they're standalone and they're, they're, they jump around in time, still I, I think that, that there's references. It, having seen it all, would, you, you don't need to watch to watch the third season. You don't need to have watched season one or two. But my guess is you'll, you'll get more enjoyment out of it if you do. And, yeah, that's, that's definitely one that I would put on my binge-worthy list. Okay, let's see. Let me check the uh, text line, which has exploded here. Um, Vikings. Um, okay, Viking. I haven't seen that. HBO's The Wire, hands down the best show of all time. Um, yeah, I The Wire. I um, that's one. That was one of the first shows that I binge watched because I didn't watch the first. It went for five seasons. I didn't watch the first season, but everybody raved about it, so I bought the DVD. And then once I got into it, it was that was just kind of a lot like The Wire was sort of a lot like what I used to do for a living when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office. But it was great. And then I watched the other four seasons. Um, uh, I think a couple of seasons were better than others, but yeah, the, the Wire was outstanding. Rescue Me on FX, yeah, I never, I never saw that one, but I know that's uh, popular. Uh, the Office, yeah, a lot of people binge watch that. Uh, Two and a Half Men, yes. Um, the uh, Jen writes The Crown on Netflix is fantastic. When I finished it, I re- immediately restarted it. It's only at ten episodes, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Here's one. Mike says the TV show I can never miss is Survivor. <laughs> I'm willing to I'm willing to binge watch that. A lot of people, including Derek in Germantown, are writing Sons of Anarchy. Um, watching the show from the beginning, from the fourth time. That's interesting. I I um I had trouble getting into the Sons of Anarchy, not because I didn't think it was well done, but it's about this like violent motorcycle gang, and they're they're all criminals, and it was just tough for me to root for them because. Okay, some of the gangs and stuff, some of the issues that they're dealing with, they're dealing with maybe worse criminals. But I just had trouble. There, I some I do like to see big uh, good guys every once in a while. Let's talk to Jerry in Milwaukee. Jerry, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Jerry. You're in the air. Oh, hello. Yeah, my 
the show I would love to watch again is Second City TV. I know it's not on the air anymore, but it was probably the the, the funniest show oh, yeah. on the planet ever. Oh, and, and so, so, so many great up. stars, you know, many of many of whom went on to do just so many other great things. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the text line. Try to get a couple more in. Deadwood. Yes. Deadwood, which is... Um, Every once in a while, they talk about trying to do a revival of Deadwood, but it ran for three years on HBO. Deadwood is another one of those where every once in a while, when I've got some time, I'll pull out. I've got the the DVDs from the three seasons, and I'll sit and watch those from the beginning, and it's it's just outstanding. Lou in Menominee Falls. Lou, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, sir. What do you think? Uh, or good evening, whatever. It's morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my two favorites are 24. Right. And Sons of Anarchy. Okay, well, yeah, the 24 is another one that, um, I mean, that was, I remember when that first came on, especially the first couple years, that was absolutely must-watch TV. Uh, let's see, I've got our text line. Watch The Leftovers. Yeah, that's that HBO series. It's just, I think it's coming back for the third year. Watch The Leftovers, Jeff, this is in the text line. I guarantee you'll binge-watch it after watching the pilot. Uh, Bill and Oconomowoc uh, text Seinfeld. Um, yeah, that's good. All sorts of great things. Better Call Saul got me into this. But that's, I say at the start of this, this is, I believe, the beginning of, we're in a golden age of television. Of course, you know, Breaking Bad is one of those as well. Everybody I know that hasn't seen Breaking Bad, once they start it, they just can't stop watching it. There's a lot of stuff like that out there. All right. Once you start listening to them, you can't stop. It's Scafidi and Billstad, and they're in next.